to Hacks and Jacks, a fantasy baseball podcast. I'm Joe Galina, and I'm joined each and every week by my co-host, Scott Chu. Welcome, Scott. And as we're recording this podcast at about, what is it, about 1230 on Sunday, May 30th, Scott, your Tigers are preparing to potentially sweep my New York Yankees. What's that all about? Well, now that you've said it out loud, there's no chance, <laughs> right? Like well, it, It's one of those things. When the Tigers are winning some games, the one thing you can't really do is talk about it. Because the moment you talk about it, they go on another like 12-game losing streak. But, I mean, this is – we're going to kind of talk about this in a little bit. But this is one of those things where anyone can be good for a little bit, mm-hmm. right? Like there's – every team's got just enough hitters and like maybe just enough pitching to swing through a couple series, especially if they run into some softer teams like the Royals or a team that isn't putting it all together at this exact moment, like the Yankees. So, I mean, is Jamer Candelario gonna like be an, an all-star? Absolutely not. Has he played like one for a week and a half? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that can happen. That can happen at any point in fantasy and real. It doesn't matter. You can, anyone can be hot for a while. And you can take advantage of that. And, you know, like me as a Tigers fan, I'm watching games every day again. And there'll probably come a point where maybe I skip a couple because, yeah. I, you know, I need to recover. But <laughs> right now it's it's time to watch. Well, look, a 162 game season is a series of hot streaks and cold streaks. Right. So uh, it's bound to happen. And no excuses here. Yankees offense has been horrible. I mean, can't make excuses because every team has had their fair share of injuries. Can't blame them just on injuries, and and you've alluded to this before. Yanks have a lot of muscle-bound players on their rosters, and and sometimes big muscles. Uh, sometimes they translate into big injury problems. Yeah, I mean, more muscles, more things to hurt. Right? Yeah, like, yeah, that's yeah. why. That's why I don't keep very many of them around. You know, I, I got to try to stay healthy. I don't want to. I, I don't have a lot of muscles to pull. Right. <laughs> I don't have a lot of muscles to strain. It works out great for me. But yeah, I mean, some of these bigger players are it's just tough to stay healthy when you're that large you can look at basketball you can look at football mm-hmm. when you're really big it, it's really hard i mean the human body can only handle so much right and at certain sizes like aaron judge size mm-hmm. you know who's as big as an offensive tackle right i mean it's it's hard to stay healthy yeah right? I, I mean i i get it it's not their fault and sometimes they stay healthy forever health is a little bit of luck and a little bit of genetics and a little bit of you know being huge, right? Like mm-hmm. that, it's hard to be huge. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you talk about Judge, and you, of course, the Yankees have Stanton, another huge guy, and Voight, and both of those guys are, are frequent visitors to the IL. And I'll just say this, and then we'll move on. I'm a Yankee fan, and I'm a realist, and and I feel sometimes that they are a team that's built to be successful more during the regular season. But when they make it to the playoffs, too often great pitching is going to quiet their, their good hitting. And the Yanks just have too many guys who swing for the fences, try to swing out of their shoes. And that style of play doesn't always translate into championships there, Scott. Yeah, no, it's it's a huge thing. And they've done a lot to try to bring in some pitching to help them on their side. And they do mm-hmm. pitch well, right? They have they have some guys yeah. that come out. Uh, mm-hmm. But like you said, they've, one, they run into a buzzsaw here and there. And two, mm-hmm. uh, you know, power hitting is streaky at its core. Yes. Right? And when you have a lot of power hitters, you can go cold. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't I don't know if it's necessarily like building for the playoffs or not, because I'm still unsure of exactly how I feel about that at like a at like a micro level on a macro level. I do believe in it. Like you need to have some star pitching because you need to be able to quiet hot offensive teams. But for the Yankees and other teams like them, it can be really tough 
because it's not just about your own roster. It's about what other people can throw at you when they can throw power pitching to get those, you know, power hitting bats quiet. It's going to be hard for them because they, they live on home runs. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, thanks for hearing me out. This has kind of like been uh, a couple minutes of a therapy session. So sometimes it's not easy uh, being a Yankee fan. People don't realize that, but uh, why don't we move on? And what we wanted to try to talk about this week was using the Memorial Day holiday and other holidays basically as checkpoints to check on the the health of your fantasy team. Maybe, you know, take a pause, take an unbiased look at your roster. I mean, at this stage, we still have four full months to make up any ground that we have to in the standings in our individual leagues. Also, it's getting to the point there, Scott, where we're going to be able to capitalize on the fact that uh, some of our league mates are going to be starting to focus on fantasy football. So while their attention goes to football, if we you know, maintain our focus on baseball, we could really make up some ground here. Yeah. And don't I need it, right? Like, <laughs> I could, I could use some leagues you. where, where some folks start thinking about football again, it would really help <laughs> me a lot, but you're absolutely right. I mean, this is a, a time where on one hand, we're going to say like, Oh, you really got to be thinking about the future. This is when you make trades. This is when you do all that stuff uh, at the very least, right? This is a time to, you know, sort of let go of some things. Like if you've been waiting this long and there are players that we've been waiting this long for, and there's no signs of hope. If they come, it might not be worth waiting for them. Right. You, you made it all the way through April and you were patient and we applaud you for it. You made it through May because maybe you saw something and that was the right thing to do. But you know, this is kind of the time to be like, all right, I can't keep um, holding my team back because I want this player to be good. Cause if they've done nothing up until this point, Mm-hmm. then you're not holding them for upside anymore. You're holding, you might be holding them for yourself. And right. That's not going to win you a lot of leads. Yeah. Like, you know, guys like, uh, and we're going to mention a, a few of them, uh, but any of these preseason sleepers that you were banking on, like maybe a, a Jonathan India, it might be time to, to let go. All right. And, and it, obviously we're going to be working that waiver wire. And Scott, as I was putting together some, some notes, I come back to the point where you talked about that. It's possible to be successful at streaming at just about every position. Uh, and it's especially effective in shallower leagues, but that's something that you could start doing more of as the season progresses right now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it really ties into this idea of when you're letting players go. I think one of the biggest mistakes you can make, especially in a more shallow format and a redraft format is only thinking about who's going to be better rest of season. And Nick Pollock talks about this quite a bit as well, especially on the back half of the list. It's not always about who's going to be the best rest of season, mm-hmm. right? It's about who's going to be the best for the next couple of weeks, you know, because that's really how long a lot of players, I mean, really that back end of your roster, probably the last quarter of your roster, those guys don't stick around on your, you know, on your bench all season, mm-hmm. right? You don't, how many guys do you add in May or June that are on your roster in September? I mean, just not that many, right? right. Like obviously some of the top end guys are the breakouts, but a lot of them hit the wire again. You know, the same names are at the top of your wire all season, not necessarily because nobody ever adds them. It's because people add them and then drop them, mm-hmm. right? And that's okay. That's what you got to do in this stuff. So when you've got when you've got these players that you're like, oh man, like certain players, you know, and I'm not going to go over all of them, but one of them might be like a Didi Gregorius and you're like, mm-hmm. all right, or you're a Nick Madrigal, like, all right, I got to move on, right? That doesn't mean you're never going to pick them back up. It mm-hmm. just means that there's someone better out there right now. 
and it's time to go grab that player. You want to come back for Nick Madrigal later? Do it, right? He heats up a little. You see something? Go back and get him, right? But uh, right now, those are guys that you can probably think about just letting go and, mm-hmm. and working on something else. Right. And when you let a player go, you don't always have to replace that player with a superstar, in my opinion. I mean, there are plenty of guys out there. Of course, it also depends on the size of your league, but there's plenty of guys that are capable of plugging some holes in your roster. I mean, I'm just, just thinking of three that I put on a, a rundown. Manny Margot, Willie Adamas, and Josh Rojas, right? You look at Margot batting a little over 300 over the past two weeks, better against left-handed pitching, so better in leagues where you could change your lineups on a daily basis. Adamas batting 333 with seven runs batted in in his first eight games with the Brew Crew. So, uh, I mean, at his core, he has some power, a little speed, and also he's away from Tropicana Field where he only batted 217 for his career there. And and Josh Rojas was another guy, you know, a lot of us, including myself, were excited at the start of the season uh, to have him, uh, to roster him, and he slumped, but quietly meeting expectations of fantasy managers who valued him as a sleeper, a 326 batting average in his last 24 games. And even more importantly, you could probably slip him in at second base shortstop and outfield. Yeah. I mean, Josh Rojas is a, is a really interesting example because one of the things about him continues to be like, what is that playing time going to continue to look like as the diamondbacks get healthy? Cattell Marte back in the lineup. We have uh, Christian Walker coming back in the lineup. I wanted to see what was going to happen with Josh Rojas. I mentioned this in the batter's box when I did it back on Monday. Uh, and, and I think again, a couple of days ago, the thing about it is, you know, we didn't know what was going to happen and someone was going to lose playing time, right. Between him and Pavin Smith, mm-hmm. uh, you know, two, two left-handed bats that kind of serve similar purposes in terms of their lineup. And wouldn't you know what Josh Rojas is batting lead off right now? Do I think he's <laughs> going to be the lead off hitter for the diamondbacks the rest of the season? No, I don't, but he is right now. Mm-hmm. Right. And that means you can use him right now. He's been great in May, right? Like I don't necessarily have to think that Josh Rojas is going to be this player for the rest of the season or this mm-hmm. player for another month, right? But as of right now, you know, it, it's not going to keep this way, but he's hitting 344 in the month of May, slugging 531. Mm-hmm. He's scoring a whole bunch of runs, 17 runs on on the month, right? And that's not even as like a, you know, he's mostly a full-time player mm-hmm. right now. He might not be. He's playing all kinds of positions. Eventually, he won't be, right? Things might break out, but who cares? Mm-hmm. You, if you need to fill in a player in your middle infield or the back end of your outfield and Josh Rojas is out there, go for it. Go for yeah. it and then don't care mm-hmm. if you have to cut him later because yeah. that's what streaming is. You let those guys go. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So we're talking about working the waiver wire, adding guys and dropping guys, and, and Rojas is a good example of that. Let's spend just a couple minutes on another way to rebuild your team at this stage, trading. And I know you don't want to get too specific on it because it, it does depend on the size of your league. There are a lot of different factors, but I'm just going to give you my basic take on it, and then you could add to it, and then we can move on. But my three rules when I trade. First of all, I don't like to trade with teams who are ahead of me in the standings because of my rule number two, which is in general, I think that a trade should help both teams. And I don't want to be helping a team that's either tied with me in the standings or ahead of me in the standings. And my third rule, I like to target a player. When I do, and we've talked about this in the past, I'll reach out to my league mate and say, hey, is this guy available? 
And if he is, take a look at my roster. Tell me what it would take. And sometimes you never know what a fantasy manager is going to come back with. And I know you don't like this style of trading based on our previous conversation, but uh, and I, I think it's worthwhile just spending a minute or two on trading because you're not only going to you know, tweak your team through the waiver wire, but it's time to start thinking about some trades as well. Yeah, and I think, you know, I, I'm a little lazy when it comes to trades. I'm in too many leagues right now. It's hard for me to have all these conversations about trades. So that's part of my bias is that I'm, you know, a lazy bum. But you know, <laughs> a couple things about trading that I will point out is, number one, in redraft, it's really hard. Trading mm. in redraft is really, really hard because you can't trade, like, future assets, right? You can't – there's – most people are going to value players a very similar way that makes it difficult to trade. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, the other thing is, you know, in dynasty, obviously, you know, I, I don't really care if a team's ahead of me, if I'm not competing, in fact, uh, you know, depending if I'm in like a deep keeper or, or a dynasty, obviously the thing to do is look for something they need. One thing that I think people should remember is when you look for needs, um, just because you think it's a need, it doesn't mean the other team's going to think it's a need. True. Right? So, uh, and especially if you just talk about a position, I, I find that talks about positional needs can be kind of tough because someone mm -hmm. might believe in that player at that position. But stat needs are a little easier because you can just point to the scoreboard, right? Like, hey, you are, you know, second to last in runs scored. I have extra runs scored, but need strikeouts or I need you know, stolen bases, stolen bases is probably the easiest thing to talk about trading for. It's the mm -hmm. easiest thing to give away. And it's the easiest thing. If you need to pick it up to pick up because everyone's trying to unload their stolen bases, right? It's probably the one thing in redraft I trade for the most is stolen bases. Cause I don't draft them a lot because I usually find players just get too expensive for my taste in steals. And I just trade for them later, right? Like I, I can get stolen bases because people want to give them to me mm -hmm. and, and I can trade hitting depth for it. The final thing is what I'll say is, you know, don't be too obvious. Most people are too obvious about identifying buy low candidates and sell high candidates. And your league mates probably aren't stupid. Maybe they are. And that's, <laughs> that's great, right? Free money, whatever. But they're probably not stupid. If, if they have this huge gap between like their expected stats, like they probably know it and aren't going to be super interested and in just unloading them, right? I tend to find the most success is when I'm willing to take a risk. This player hasn't been playing well. The expected stats are bad, but something I see or something I researched in the preseason or something makes me think that I think this is going to turn around where they'd have to do some real digging to find that out, not just a real quick look at their stat cast page, right? Those are the players to make. Don't don't worry about winning a trade at the time you made the trade, right? Mm -hmm. I, I highly recommend using whatever forum. I mean, the pitcher list Discord's a great one. Uh, just bouncing trade ideas off of people. But remember, winning the trade at the moment of the trade doesn't matter. You're not trying to win trades. You're trying to win your league. If you think that trade's going to help you win your league, then it's a good trade. Even if other people think, oh, you could have gotten more. You can say that about every trade that's ever been made, pretty sure. much, in fantasy, right? Mm -hmm. Except for the absolute fleecings. So... Bounce ideas off people and take risks. That's what trading is. The yeah. best trades are when you took a risk. And it's all subjective too. Like if someone looks at a trade that you made, oh, you, I could have done better. Or I, yeah, I, I always love it when you make a trade and then someone else in your league comes to you and says, 
you know, I would have given you a lot more than what you got. You know, okay, well, where were you when, you know, I needed you? But anyway, so. Uh, I also found they're never right. They're never right. They'll be like, oh, I would have given you more. I was like, I looked at your roster. You didn't have more. Yeah. <laughs> Good point. So uh, as we move on, we're a third, basically a third, between a quarter and a third into the season uh and we're recording this on memorial day weekend and uh want to say thank you to uh everyone who has served in the armed forces and given up their lives uh, for the freedoms that we are able to enjoy but uh, like we said this is a good time to take a pause and kind of see what what's been going on in the world of fantasy baseball and let's take a look at some of the disappointing players uh, as we look uh, at the the first third of the season, basically 50 or so games in. Uh, let's start with Christian Yelich, who was a first-round pick in, in preseason drafts. He's been dealing with a back injury this season, obviously slumped very badly last season as well. Last season had a 30.8K rate. This season, it's even a little bit worse, 32%, which is unusual for him. His K rates had been in the lower 20s, if, if I'm not mistaken. Projection models are optimistic. Between 18 and 21 home runs and a decent batting average the rest of the way, if you look at the major projections for him. Is he a guy that you'd be buying right now? Uh, and I'll throw this one at you. Luis Castillo slumping starting pitcher for Christian Yelich in the trade. Would you do it? Oh, Yelich all the way, right? Mm -hmm. Give me Yelich because at least I know he's going to play, mm -hmm. right? And there are at least some categories he's not going to hurt me in, right? Like just batting third for an okay offense brings stats. Mm -hmm. And it's true. Like I sometimes with a player like him, I, I try to like focus on little chunks. Like, okay, how's he been since he came back, right? Like since he came back on the 18th. And the answer is like, not great. You know, hitting 154, 353 OBP, that's great. But like the slugging is lower than that. It's, it's 346, right? Cause he's, mm -hmm. he's like getting a lot of walks, things like that. So uh, one of those weird situations with the on base is, uh, is better than the slugging, but he is, you know, as much as he's striking out, which is also 32%, right? This isn't like a front loaded thing. He's come back from injury. He's still swinging and missing quite a bit. It's gotten a little better over the last two series, right? But like still not great. You know, I'm looking, you know, when you're only looking at five games, there's only so much data you can pull, but he is at least walking a lot. He's not selling, you know, it's easy to speculate that like, oh yeah, the back's bothering him. That's why he's swinging more and he's missing more. He's got a cheat or whatever. He is still being quite patient at the plate and he's actually still stealing bases. He has two steals since coming mm -hmm. back. Mm -hmm. So Obviously, he's feeling okay. It's a, it's a thing to monitor. The one thing I'll say is, I don't know if you should buy high, but don't bother selling low, mm -hmm. right? Most of your league isn't going to be interested because every time you offer Christian Yelich in a trade, what are they going to say? Oh, he's got a bad back, <laughs> which is true, right? It's, yes. it's not wrong, but it's going to mean they're going to devalue Christian Yelich significantly. So instead of trading him away to try to get a boost, your most likely uh, avenue to getting a boost for your team is holding Yelich and letting him like see if he performs, right? I mean, it reminds me of one of the few like victory laps I can take here to a degree is that when we found out about Tatis' shoulder on this very podcast, we kept saying, just hold it. Yes. No one's yeah. going to give you what you want for, mm -hmm. you know, Fernando Tatis Jr. No one's going to do it. No one's going to offer you a top five player, right? As of right now, this moment, Fernando Tatis is the number one player in fantasy, right? 
at least the number one hitter, right? He's the number one hitter in fantasy. No one was going to trade you anything close to that because what were they going to say? Oh, his shoulder. And they were right. They were right. His shoulder was a problem. But no, like selling your, you know, people say, oh yeah, sell high now. No one's buying high, right? I would have, but nobody wanted to trade him to me in redraft because I would have had to give up a player that I probably wasn't able to draft, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> it would have to be like a top five going forward player. Nobody would have done it. It happens, but yeah, this is one of those situations where your team, your best shot at your team getting better is Christian Yelich being Christian Yelich, and no yep. one's going to trade you anything close to what that looks like. Mm-hmm. And what's amazing, just touching upon what you talked about with Tatis, yes, he's missed time, even had that week or so where he was out for non-injury, it was, it was COVID, but anytime he came back into the lineup... He hit as if he didn't miss any time. Some players, it takes some time to readjust and, and whatnot, but it's almost like, you know, putting his hand in a glove, it just fit perfectly. He was just able to, you know, uh, beat Fernando Tatis again. So talk about a couple of Dodgers real quick. Mookie Betts, last I looked, 240 batting average, five home runs, five stolen bases. Among the top, you know, three or four batters that were being taken in preseason drafts, Juan Soto, Fernando Tatis, Ronald Acuna Jr., I almost thought that he'd be the most reliable to put up the stats that he's been putting up for his the, his career. But, like I said, he's slumping a bit. Uh, expected stats and his actual stats are pretty much in the same ballpark. I really don't see a reason why he's slumping. I, I don't know if, if you've noticed anything uh, doing a deep dive. And we'll also talk about Manny Machado, who's slumping as well. You're wondering, he's had some shoulder issues and whether or not that could be contributing to his slow start to the season. Yeah, so this kind of thing comes up a lot, right? Uh, really good player, slumping. Right? It, it happens. It happens all the time. The, I look for a couple things right off the bat. The first thing I look for with a player like Mookie Betts is, is there anything on the basic back of the baseball card stats that are really alarming me, right? Quite frankly, I haven't seen a ton that I'm particularly worried about. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, he's had months like this, right? He's had he's had two months like this, right? Where he's been, you know, this isn't like some crazy low point on his overall career. I, I talk about this every week because it's important, but... You go and look at like the the rolling stats on his expected WOBA, right? Is this a high point? No. Is this some new low point? No, not even close, right? He's kind of just hovering as this average player right now. And one of the reasons he was drafted so high is not because he necessarily was going to be the best player in baseball for the entire season. It's because his low point is still a usable player. Mm-hmm. Right. You, you can still he's still got five home runs and five steals. That's lower than it ought to be. He's got 27 runs scored. He's still useful. Right. That's the floor. A player you can still leave in your lineup. I do think things will turn around because he's still Mookie Betts. Right. He's not like 35 year old Mookie Betts. He's 28 year old Mookie Betts. Right. OK. He's he's doing a lot of things. Well, there's nothing to worry about here. Same for Manny Machado. We've seen him be slow. Mm-hmm. We've seen him have years where batting average is low. What are you going to do about it? Nothing. You're not cutting him. We'll talk about players you can cut later. Mm-hmm. But you don't do like you don't do anything about this, and it stinks. And I wish I could say more than it's going to get better because they're good players. But like 
it's going to get better because they're good players. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's how this works. That's just the way that it is. And especially in a 162 game season, this is what you deal with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You deal yeah. with players being bad for two months in a 60 game season. Like last year, this is a huge problem. Yes. Absolutely. Because you don't have time for things to get better, mm-hmm. but you do now you have time. So just take the time, leave them in. Don't bench him for God's sake. Who do you have on your bench? No. That you would project in a single game to be better than Mookie Betts. The day you bench him is the day he goes four for four with two home runs. Yeah. Guaranteed. You don't bench him. <laughs> yeah. You don't do anything. This isn't like a Joey Gallo who yeah. goes on these crazy slumps and is hurting your team. Mm-hmm. Is he helping your team? Maybe not. Is he hurting it? Not really. Right. He's going to do something. He's not, it's not a bunch of offers. 240 isn't great, but it's not 140. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not 200. You let it go. Don't do anything. That's a long, a lot of talk, but I think it applies to a lot of these star players. Right. Right. Like even to an extent of Christian Yelich, you can't bench him because the upside there's too high. Yes. It's, you know, if you're, if you remember the financial crisis, too big to fail, it's too high. You can't do anything about it right now. If we get some kind of news later that he's playing like without an elbow ligament or something, <laughs> maybe. But mm-hmm. we don't have any of that. We have a guy who's not hitting as well as he could. Okay. Yeah. I'll give you one guy I think that maybe uh, is benchable, and he's not in the caliber of a Mookie Betts or a Christian Yelich, but Brandon Lowe uh, for the Rays, batting 075 versus lefties. Not much better versus righties either, batting 244 uh, against uh, righties. 31% K rate. And I've got to wonder if – the Rays are going to start platooning him or even benching him once they start to call up Wander Franco and Vidal Bruhan. I mean, you know, I roster him in a couple of leagues and I'm starting to sit him because he just has been bad this season, especially like I mentioned against left-handed bats. So contact's a problem, mm-hmm. right? It's a big problem. Is he hitting the ball hard? Like, yeah, when he gets a hold of it, he hits the ball pretty hard. Like, that average exit velocity number isn't very good, but the max exit velocity is pretty good. He has, like, a he has these weak, like, he he makes a lot of weak contact, especially against lefties, but his, like, his expected slugging, the expected, you know, Woba is actually pretty good. The barrel rate is also pretty high, right? The Mm -hmm. problem is he, he does miss a lot, right? He is just really not been good with the whiffs, like in the bottom 5%. Also, the defense hasn't been very good. He's been a horrible defender on Mm -hmm. the season, despite being fast. Like being fast doesn't mean a good defender, and he's not been a good defender. So really, that's my big issue. I would not worry about this on most teams. I worry about this because it's the Rays. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the removing Adamas, doesn't you know might give him a tiny bit of security as does the fact that he can play multiple positions but if the rays feel like they could get some better production against lefties they will platoon him sure that's that's what they'll do and i should also mention that as good as he was last season and as much as i believed in that this is a real problem and you can identify a specific thing he's not hitting lefties and teams can do stuff about that like benching you Mm-hmm. right like just not have you play against tough lefties they'll let him come in against some back-end lefties but i could easily see them benching him against tough lefties i hope they don't but they could and the other thing is like these stats like this expected batting average of 222 
uh, the expected slugging of 450, that's kind of in line with what we've seen from him in the past, right? 2018, mm-hmm. 2019, those were season-long numbers. So I do think that there's obviously more upside than this. But uh, in a shallow league, eight or 10 teams, I don't know if I could cut him, but I'm really starting to think about it. Mm-hmm. Well, next guy I'll talk about, well, next two guys, both shortstops. I don't think you, you, you're not cutting them, but uh, one of them is um, the uh, shortstop for my team, the Yankees, Glaber Torres, slumped badly in 2020, has just two home runs on the season, a 0.75 ISO. Uh, another disappointing barrel rate of 4.8 this season was 3.7 last season. Had averaged 9.65 barrel rate from 2018 to 2019. Looked like he was starting to heat up, but kind of tailed off again. Killing off-speed pitches, doing well against breaking balls, but just it's not translating into what we expected from him at the start of the season. And if you listen to uh, Sports Talk Radio in New York, you get some fans are getting a little tired of, of Torres. They're a little disappointed in his defense and obviously uh, the uh, the slumping uh, batting skills. So what do you think about uh, Torres? So the first thing I want to do is knock a little bit off about that the one of the most powerful narratives we've heard about Glaber Torres uh, over the last couple of years was that tw- those 2019 stats against the Baltimore Orioles hmm. and how everybody says he he killed the Orioles and he was bad against everyone else. It should be noted he was not the best Yankee against the Orioles. That honor goes to Gary Sanchez. Mm-hmm. He actually hit even better against mm-hmm. the Orioles. The fact of the matter is that was less about Glaber Torres just being good against the Orioles and the Orioles being really bad. They were a horrible pitching team. Of course he wrecked against them because good hitters wreck bad pitching. Is there concern about what we've seen from him over the last two seasons? Like, yeah, right. Like the, the expected stats and a lot of that like underlying data looks exactly the same, right? Like he, he sort of looks like this 250 hitter. Like he's actually outperforming his expected batting average by a bit. Right. Um, not like not in a way that's like crazy high, but he's making a lot of weak contact. He's, uh, you know, not chasing a ton, which is great, right? His plate discipline is fine, but he does with a little bit. My issue with Glaber Torres, as it has been for quite some time, is less that I have an issue with Glaber Torres and just more that in a regular season, like obviously 2019, he was excellent, right? But like, what he brings to the table isn't like world breaking, right? He, he's, he's only 25 years old, right? He, he's mm-hmm. a young player. Uh, sorry, 24. He's 24. He turns 25 this season. Uh, the problem. So what, what's he do like in a, in an okay season for him, right? 25 to 30 home runs, less than hundred RBI. That's really good. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that's not good. I'm just saying like, there's a lot of guys that can do that, especially at shortstop. A lot of players can do this and he doesn't run. Right. right. Like he has three stolen bases this season, which is about halfway to his like his career high. Granted, yeah, he hasn't you, played you don't expect seasons, him but... to do double digits. Th- steals. No. You're right. No, no. So like that's the thing in a shallow league. This is kind of a replaceable player, unfortunately, because mm-hmm. what he gives you, you can get elsewhere mm-hmm. in a deeper. League, obviously, there's stop. just nothing. Yeah. yeah. In a deeper league, obviously, there's nothing you can do about this. I think if you invest what you invested in Glaber Torres is just going to have to wait and hope that he turns it around. Hope that he has some hot streaks or something. But uh, if you're in a 10, I'm fine with moving on. You can mm-hmm. find another shortstop to do what he's doing. And yeah. even at his peak, right? Um, 
you probably can find someone to do that too. Mm. Uh, next couple players both showing a bit of a power outage. And uh, Trevor Story, shortstop for the Rockies, five home runs for the first 50 games of the season. Matt Chapman uh, for the A's, five home runs. You basically drafted him to hit home runs, not for average or anything like that. And wondering if he has some lingering effects from his hip surgery. I think we could just kind of lump them together, even though they play different positions, but just that they're both not hitting as many home runs as we thought that they would. And that's fine. I, I kinda, it, it's tough with the, you know, Chapman's a little bit more of a concern. Cause like you said, uh, he's, he's a guy that we really wanted just for the home runs. He doesn't really do a whole lot else. He gets some RBI too, because of where he hits in that lineup. So it is a real bummer that we haven't been seeing the power that we quite want, but he's also a guy that can go on ridiculous benders for mm-hmm. power. And he's this type of player. And for whatever reason, it, it this happens to just this type of player, these low average, high power players. We've talked about this before. They're streaky, right? You got to take the bad with the good, right? I mean, mm-hmm. a player that started the season hot, who's a little cold right now is, is uh, Nate Lau, right? And so uh, he's, he's not hitting great, right? But he was hitting really well. And we see it, right? Another guy in Texas, Adolis Garcia is one of the best hitters in baseball right now. There's going to come a time when he is not right. Mm-hmm, and he's actually mm-hmm. on the other end of the spectrum because these power hitters, when you swing hard, you miss a lot. And that just is what happens. So, you know, there's nothing in the profile that really stands out. You know, last season for Chapman, I was really worried about that walk rate, just falling off a cliff along with the strikeout rate going way up. The strikeout rate is still too high, right? At his, at his best, he was striking out more like 20 to 25% of the time instead of over 30, but his walk rate is up to 14.2% again. He's doing just enough where I can hold on, mm-hmm. uh, especially, you know, it, it's, it, you know, I'm going to keep saying in shallow leagues, like eight and 10 team leagues, you don't have to wait for anything. You can just do whatever the heck you want and still have a chance. But in most leagues, I think you got to hold there for Matt Chapman, you know, for Trevor story, I kind of just don't care. You know, the, the, mm-hmm. the Rockies are a team where they're going to, they, as a team go on these hot and cold streaks. There's this thing called visual memory index, which is basically how players have to adjust to how pitches move. The Rockies have to go through these crazy changes in how pitches move between home and away series. I talk about this a lot because it's really important. So players sometimes get in little funks and they fix themselves, mm-hmm. right? I mean, Trevor story has been good and bad over and over and over again for the last several seasons. When we talk about a player being in, you know, with a certain batting average or a certain skill set, we don't mean every single day, right? That's like Mike Trout and Juan Soto and like nobody else, right? Like Fernando Tatis, they can do everything every single day. Most players, they go hot and cold. It happens. Mm -hmm. It's going, I'm going to keep saying it over and over again. A lot of these guys are going to get better. Trevor story is going to go on like three or four weeks where in a week, like in a head to head league, he just wins it for you by himself. Mm -hmm. Just wait for that because it's not like he's losing it for you. You know, maybe in a single week you can really complain about his performance, but otherwise just let these, let these guys work through the adjustments we see, you know, every single season, those rolling graphs are not all up. It's up then down right now. It's down for these guys. It'll get better. Hmm. Uh, And I just want to go back. I think I referred to Brandon Lau as Brandon Lowe. So I apologize for that. Actually know the difference, but 
it escaped me. So I apologize for. I'm so mis- bad at it. I, and me I, too. I apologize deeply. <laughs> I I just overthink it every time. Whatever yes. I think, like like the first thing that comes out of my like that I want to come out of my mouth is right, and then I'm like, no, wait, that can't be right because <laughs> yes. I'm never right, and it's because of that whole process, and I can't get rid of it. <laughs> uh, so let, let's look at. Uh, the players that have kind of surprised us so far this season, uh, guys like Mark Canna, who's another uh, unlikely but successful leadoff hitter. And look, the A's just get the most out of their players. First 52 games of the season, 40 runs scored, 10 home runs, 395 on base percentage. And uh, major projection models have him hitting between 14 and 19 home runs more uh, for the rest of the season. Yeah, they do. And, you know, good for him, right? Like he's, he's showing the plate discipline we've been seeing for quite a while now, right? He was actually like kind of this caliber of player back in 2019, except he wasn't stealing bases then, right? So mm-hmm. back in 2019, uh, the last full season, he had 26 home runs, right? Uh, walked 13 and a half percent of the time, struck out 21% of the half, like 21 and a half percent of the time, 273 hitter, 517 slug, you know, he's actually like a little worse than that in the batting average department, but obviously he's stolen six bases. He's one away from a career high, despite it being 52 games, right? Like he's, Mm -hmm. he's probably going to steal about 10 bases on the season, even if he slows down a bit, right? Which most projections are going to do. We should point out that projections are still going to focus heavily on the past, Mm -hmm. right? Because Mm -hmm. they're not going to like, like there's very few cases where projections dramatically change after 52 games, right? Especially for a player who before this season had over 500 games under his belt, right? Like there's, there's just only so much that we can change our forecast and projection based on 52 games. Even if we see something really good, right? Like there's still Mm -hmm. only so much, like even Vlad Guerrero Jr.'s projections can only change so much after what he's done. Have they changed? Yes. How much have they changed? Eh, not as much as you might think because projections are pretty much always going to be on the cautious side. That said, projections look like he can hit like 25 home runs, 26 home runs, steal 10 bases, score a whole boatload of runs, like probably threaten 100 runs scored on the season. Yes. Right. And, you know, the batting average won't be spectacular. I would, you know, I expect him to finish the season somewhere around 250 like he has Mm -hmm. most years since 2018. But, hey, that's a heck of a player. And, you know, like that's one of the reasons you stream outfield. In a shallow league, you probably could have just you just picked him up when he was hot, and he's just mm-hmm. stayed hot, and that's great. Yeah. And there were probably outfielders you drafted that you could just let go. Those back end guys, let him go because every once in a while, a guy like this sticks. Yeah. Mitch Haniger for the Mariners finally healthy through first fifty one games, fourteen home runs, thirty five RBI. Uh, again, the projection models optimistic anywhere from fifteen to twenty one more home runs and uh, I get what you're saying in terms of the projection models and you're absolutely right using more uh, predictive analysis based on previous uh, production but a little interesting thing with uh, Hanniger was if you read Eno Saris's uh, article for the athletic uh, you know Hanniger's really into focusing in on his bat and Keenan long runs uh, the long ball bats lab and uh, he talks about how uh, Hanniger and even Jed Lowry, another uh, A, discovered that using a better bat might cause them to see an extra two miles per hour exit velocity difference on their uh, their hitting, on their hits. So uh, Hanniger's like a fanatic about it, weighs his bats. When he gets they get too heavy, he gets rid of them, studies the knots on his bats, how far the grains are, are spread apart. But just in, in summary, 
he's been hurt for a while. It's good to see him healthy, and he's putting up some really good numbers. First of all, I love that he nerds out, right? Like, I don't yeah. know how all that stuff impacts it, but if it does, like, great. <laughs> Be as nerdy as you can, man. Like, nerd it up and, like, do it for my fantasy team as well, yeah. right? Yeah. For the Mariners, for you, and for my team. That would be great. So thing with Haniger, number one, is that if you recall, he was really good before, you know, yeah. 2017 and 2018, he was really good. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and even when he played in, in 2019, he only played 63 games. He had 15 home runs, right? Like he was good. Yes. The thing yeah. has been obviously health, mm-hmm. health, health, health. Even now, if you look at the projections, like none of, like none of them have, have him getting to 150 games. That would just be really aggressive they have him in like the 140s zips is probably like the most depressing one because it puts him more at like 125 but if he plays a full season like this is a guy that can hit 30 home runs Mm -hmm. right the stolen bases just aren't going to be there uh they weren't ever really before so don't worry about that but decent ratios like the only thing i think that might bum you out a little is he's you know the rbi totals aren't going to be great like probably 80 ish Mm -hmm. uh even if he plays like 150 55 games just because the Mariners aren't very good offensively. Like, I'm sorry if you're a Mariner fan, but this shouldn't be a surprise. The run totals will be better, but only slightly. But this is a really good hitter. And the only reason that like you got him at a discount is because it was a giant risk because there was Mm -hmm. this very real, very significant risk that you got a player that played a hundred games. Yep. I don't think a lot of people doubted the, you know, 150 game talent. It was how much of it could you get? Mm-hmm. having not seen him for a while the last time we saw him was 2019 and he only played 63 games he had w- exactly one season with 100 games at the major league level ever 2018 right so that's the thing about the risk is you're, you're probably feeling real good right now right you probably already got what you paid for it oh, especially yeah. in like a in like a 12 team league where you didn't have to pay much to draft him but you know there's still risk going forward and if I was going to try to trade for a player, this might be one, right? Mm-hmm. There's probably people looking to cash in their chips mm-hmm. and sell high. When I think you're actually, if you're buying, you're buying at fair value, right? Right. And if they think they're selling high and you're actually buying at fair value, I'm all for it because they're, they might take a little less than what he probably could be for the rest of the season because they think like all they're going to think about is the risk. Mm-hmm. And yes, you'd be taking on that risk for them. But what if it pays off? I bet you can play to trade a lesser player. If you project, you know, a hundred games more, you could get a lesser player uh, or you could use a lesser player to acquire Mitch Hanniger. And I think you yeah. should, I-, I would at least kick the tires. Yeah. Uh, another couple of players we'll talk about uh, Isaiah Kiner Falefa, who in Yahoo leagues eligible, still at catcher, but also third base shortstop in 53 games, 286 batting average, five home runs, but 10 steals. And the key to me is that he's only been caught once. So Rangers probably going to keep on letting him run. Yeah. The biggest surprise for me is when I was coming into the season, I thought Kiner Falefa would be only relevant in Yahoo leagues Mm -hmm. because that's where he had his catcher and other leagues that had catcher eligibility for him. And I'm sort of wrong, right? Like what he's been doing it's kind of like what we thought Nick Madrigal would do. And we were willing to play Nick Madrigal in standard leagues, right? Love he's the comp. 286. Yes. Yeah. He's been hitting at least, you know, he, over the last two seasons, right? He's played a little over a hundred games. He's hitting 280 in that stretch. Like the power is absent and it's going to continue to be absent. If he hits 10 home runs on the year, count yourself lucky because at mm-hmm. the beginning of the season, I would have said that was a stretch, right? But he could also 
have 20 stolen bases by the end of the year, right? Like he's already sort of ahead of that. Yeah. He's already got 10. I think you could easily get 10 more. And it's not like the Rangers are, you know, we talk, I've talked about this before, but players tend to steal bases, uh, particularly guys who don't have like crazy speed. They steal bases based on the success of their team. Mm-hmm. Texas is going to need him to steal bases to generate offense, especially yes. when they're not hitting a bunch of home runs. Cause they're a very streaky team. I mean, Robbie Grossman stole a bunch of bases and hasn't done much stealing since because the Tigers are winning games. He stole all those bases when they were bad. Ramon Laureano has slowed down with speed because he stole a bunch when the team was bad and now they're good. So they don't need him to as much. The Rangers are going to need him to steal bases all season to try to win a game. And even though they don't have like playoff aspirations, right? They do want to win games. These are grown men, professional athletes. They want to win games. One of the sure. ways they're going to have to do that is to steal bases. Mm-hmm. And he will continue to steal bases. He is relevant in 12 team leagues at, you know, at some level, regardless of whether he can catch. That's the big surprise here. That's the big takeaway is he is a, he is a decent back end third base shortstop, especially if you can use him at corner infield or middle infield in, you know, 12 team leagues and up. I never thought I would say that. And with the number of injuries that have taken place over the past several weeks, having these multi-position eligible players is so key to uh, continued success in fantasy baseball. And if you heard a little noise, it's uh, sexy Sadie, my cat, just uh, wants some attention, and she kind of slipped on a piece of paper. So (laughs) where would the Blue Jays be, Scott, without Marcus Simeon and Randall Gritchick? I mean, Simeon on his way to uh, looks like a, a 30 home run season, close to 20 steals. If you if you you look at what rest of the season might look like for him and Grichik, where would the Jays be without him? 50 games, 286 batting average, nine home runs, 38 RBI, especially without George Springer. And they've got to keep his bat in the lineup once Springer does return. Yeah, this is one of the things that uh, I definitely got wrong in the preseason. I ranked Grichik 69th, which is, you know, a nice ranking. But uh, the thing about it was I didn't think he was going to play, right? Mm-hmm. Randall Grichik is not like some star defender, although he's been their center fielder, right? And, and he's fine uh, as a center fielder. But I thought for sure he'd be the one riding the pine because when Springer and, – and this is still potentially a thing depending on if Lords Guriel continues to turn things around like he has been. Yeah. Uh, when Springer comes back, which we don't know when that is yet, right? When he comes back, one of these outfielders, you know, it looks like right now can go to DH, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm not sure they really want Rowdy Telez as the DH every single day because right. he's kind of turned back into the Rowdy Telez we've seen before, mm-hmm. uh, and he's just exceptionally streaky. But um, someone's probably going to go to that DH role, and they at this point now it looks like Grichuk will play every day because when he's yeah. Not the DH, they'll probably use him to spell one of the other right-handed outfielders, mm-hmm. right? That was kind of the thing, is that they were all right-handed, so they couldn't really platoon with each other other than for a random day off. One of them was going to have to platoon at DH. Doesn't look like that anymore. Grichik has hit his way into the fifth spot in this lineup behind mm-hmm. Simeon, Bichette, Vlad, uh, Teoscar, <laughs> and then him. It's a great Amazing. place to be. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. I mean, w- there's not much else to say. Is yeah. you know We know what he is. On his own, he's like a 25 to 30 home run guy that misses some time. Not yeah. a ton, but enough, right? Where he's more like a 130, 140 game guy. And in that stretch, he'll hit 30 home runs, have an okay batting average. Like, that's still the guy I think he is. Mm-hmm. But now he gets to do that batting fifth Yeah. for the Blue Jays. 
who are good now, right? Like at least the offense is right. The offense is fantastic. They're good. So, they're going to be playing in a good hitters park. Are they just leaving Dunedin, Florida, and then they're going to be playing in a, a little ballpark up in Buffalo. So that's got to help them a little bit too. Not only are they a talented group, but to, to play in these in these uh, good ballparks to hit. I mean, there's there's nothing nothing bad you can say about the guy. He's in a he's in a perfect opportunity, right? Mm-hmm. Is, is he like? Is there a player on this roster that could maybe do better in the fifth spot for them? Sure. Like, I think uh, Lords Guriel Jr.'s upside is higher than Grichik. But mm-hmm. right now, Grichik is batting fifth for the Toronto Blue Jays. That is yeah. a must-start every single day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you had some uh, interesting stat that you t- share with me before the show about Austin Riley, who uh, Austin Riley, 313, batting average, 10 home runs f- uh, in his first 50 games. I don't see any glaring weaknesses in his splits. Uh, strikeout rate is up uh, from last season to 28%, but it's still better than the 36% rate that he had in his rookie season. And, but there are some signs that he's become a bit more disciplined, walking more, uh, 11.4% up from 54 in 2019. Chase rate is down for three straight seasons. And it's looking like he's finally coming into his own. Yeah, it does. And we've, We've had some really nice articles come out about Austin Riley at Pitcher List. We had one before the season, if you read it, by Chad Young. He was pretty convinced that uh, Austin Riley was going to have a chance to have a breakout. Uh, we just had another one come out recently. I highly recommend you read those to get a better idea of what's going on with Austin Riley. But, you know, the thing is, I am high on him because people I respect are high on him, right? Mm-hmm. I think this is a 30 home run kind of guy. A very yes. Randall Grichik kind of guy, to be quite honest with you, right? Like in, in terms of just fantasy production, I think he's got a lot of Randall Grichik in his game, right? Power, okay batting average, um, and you know a lot of it is dependent on where he hits in the lineup. And you have to remember, there were times last season, the season before that, and even early this season, he was not hitting in a good place for the Atlanta lineup. But Due to some uh, injuries and, you know, who knows how long Marcelo Zuna is going to be gone for with, you know, oh, yeah. he's got he's got yes. the injury. That's at least six weeks. And then mm-hmm. Lord knows what's going to happen out of this. Yeah, investigation. I don't think we're going to see him uh, does, for the rest of the season. Uh, it, it's a long road back yeah. for him. And that mm-hmm. means Austin Riley continues to have a chance to bat like in the right in the middle of this order, like mm-hmm. fourth, fifth. Mm-hmm. So, you know. Just like Grichik, he's batting in, you know, is this lineup super deep right now? No, but who's batting ahead of him right now? He's hitting about fourth. Mm-hmm. It's Acuna, Freeman, Albies, and then Riley. That's a good place to be. A really good place to be, right? And he's pounding the ball right now. Strikeouts are and will continue to be a problem. We have seen Austin Riley be among the best players and hitter, among the best hitters in baseball for a short time, and then among the worst in baseball for a short time right? Especially during his rookie season, he famously came out super hot and then was super duper cold. He'll go on these stretches where over 50 plate appearances, he strikes out 40, 50% of the time. That's a reality, something to be aware of, but right now he's not. And he's batting fourth for a team where at least the top half of this lineup can produce. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just must start every day. And I wouldn't think too hard about it. I don't care so much about his rest of season projection, which by the way is about 30 home runs. That's right. what I think he can do in a full season. Right. Um, that, and that's great, but don't worry too much about the long term. right now. He bats fourth for Atlanta. Mm-hmm. That's all you need to know. Yeah. That's a, that's a rosterable player every single time. 
I don't, I wouldn't, if they moved William Contreras, the catcher into fourth, he immediately becomes a guy to start. This is exactly what happened with Travis Darno. I was like, yeah, he's a pretty good hitter. And he also bats fourth or fifth. Mm -hmm. So he's got to start. That's what's going on with Austin Riley. Yeah. I mean, there are some other players, but we're going to move on. But uh, if there are other players that you want us to talk about, just reach out to us at Hacks and Jacks PL. Uh, I mean, of course, you're I mean Mercedes could be, we, but we've spoken about him in the past. Uh, Adolis Garcia, we've spoken about him. And uh, I mean, anybody that you want us to uh, focus on, please reach out to us. But as we wind down the podcast there, Scott, uh, we put together, you actually put together a really good list of players that uh, it might be time to say goodbye to uh, at this point. Um, and uh, we could start looking at some of them. These guys are owned or rostered, I should say, in 70% or fewer of leagues. Uh, Alec Bohm, third baseman for the Phillies. And from a personal standpoint, I roster him in a 15-team where I finally stopped uh, starting him a couple weeks ago. Didn't drop him, just benched him, but I picked up and began starting Brad Miller. And then another guy I'll bring up who's starting to uh, get some rehab starts uh, that you might think of if you're having problems with Bohm is Key Brian Hayes. Uh, keep an eye. He might be on your league's waiver wire. Yeah. So players rostered in more than 70% of leagues right now, Alec Bohm, Andrew McCutcheon, Jesus Aguilar, and <clears throat> I'll get to the last player I listed in just a second <laughs> because it's a little more controversial, but I do want to talk about it. So Bohm, McCutcheon, Aguilar, if they're on your roster in a 12-team league, they don't need to be. Mm-hmm. These guys are utterly replaceable. Aguilar, he was hot for a while, so you probably added him because you needed some depth at first base. Just get someone else. He's been hitting poorly, and even when he's good, he doesn't do anything particularly outstanding, right? He's like a 25 home run corner infield. Don't care. Plenty mm-hmm. of those out there. Yes. Andrew McCutcheon, he doesn't run the way he used to. He still has an okay OBP, but what, 20 home runs, 10 stolen bases? You're telling me in a 12-team league you can't find that on the wire? I guarantee you can, at least for a short period of time, mm-hmm. right? I bet you can find a guy who's going to be better than Andrew McCutcheon for the next two weeks because he's not been good, and he doesn't do anything so special that you got to just hold on, right? Uh, Boehm, I, I still believe this kid has upside for the future, but you no longer need to wait for it in redraft. 15 team with a corner infield, it just that's hard depth to find, and there may not be a player that's mm-hmm. going to play as often as Boehm for the next couple of weeks, right? Like, because when you start getting to deeper leagues, you run into players who just don't play every day. But if you're in a league like a 12 teamer where there's a bunch of guys on the wire who play every day, I think it's kind of easy to move on at this point, right? It doesn't mean you're going to give up forever right? Projections will still like Bohm a little, but you can just pick him up later, right? And not going to be a lot of teams chomping at the bit. And if they are all the power to him, let, let him sit on their bench or in their roster while he's not doing well. Right. Mm-hmm. Guys, just move on. Other guy I want to talk about. It's a little controversial. I'm not doing this just for the ratios. I promise. Uh, Jared Kellenick. So the thing about Kellenick, obviously huge upside for the future. But in a 12-team redraft, particularly I'm thinking about the Yahoo 12-team redraft, which is three outfield, two utility. He's probably on your bench right now because you've probably got three outfielders who are better than him now and are probably going to be better than him for the rest of 2021, right? Will they be better than him in 2022? I don't know. Probably not, right? I love the upside of Kalanick, but that's the thing. There's only so many prospects you can hold onto a roster. And if you've got short benches, especially if you're being crushed by injuries right now, it's okay. Let mm-hmm. him go. Right? Could this be a trout situation where you really regret it when he finally turns it around? Yes. But uh how much do you want to pay for that? 
right? Right now, if, if you got to a point where, you know, you're really tough, you've got guys on the IL who you have to keep on the bench because you're out of IL spots. Kelnick is a guy I'd be thinking of letting go if I, mm-hmm. if I don't have any other obvious choice because he's just not playing that well right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's a perfect example of the riskiness that comes with making fab bids on prospects. I mean, yes, they could, you know, fulfill all their expectations, but, you know, Kellenick is struggling and he's a lot better than what he's showing right now, no doubt. But if you invested a ton of your fab already, it, it just now you're at a disadvantage, not only because he's either taking a spot on your bench or just, dragging your fantasy team's batting average down. And and then on top of that, now you, you're, you're out a ton of fab. Yeah. And, and I should say, I'm not just saying cut him for the sake of cutting him. Mm-hmm. I just mean, if you're in a crunch and there's a good player out there on the wire that you need now, Kellenick's not helping you right now. And it's mm-hmm. hard to imagine he's going to help you over the next couple of weeks. Could he? Yes. But in my, in my, in some of my shallow redraft leagues, like some home leagues and stuff like that, I did add him and I'm, in one league, I let him go, and in another, I'm pretty much ready to because I just need those bench spots for something else. I have yeah. so few of them. They're at a premium. I can't use them on a guy who I don't think is going to hit right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, he will eventually, but not now. Real quick, I'll go through the guys. They're, these are rostered in greater than 40% of leagues that I'm ready mm-hmm. to drop, and this list is just quite a bit less controversial. But Miguel Rojas, he's on the IL right now. If you've got unlimited IL, go ahead and leave him there, but most of you don't. And most of you got plenty of other guys that are sitting on your IL. Miguel Rojas does not need to be. Let him go. He, it's cool. He was doing well. He was hitting the ball well, but he's not so good that I that I would just like keep him over many of the other guys that have gotten injured lately. Jorge Soler, we've been talking about this for a while. Just let, yes. He's a power hitter, not hitting for power. <laughs> just let it go. Didi Gregorius, uh, this is sort of like some other guys I've talked about, but basically when he's good, he doesn't do anything so special that you just got to hold him. In a 12-team league, he's a very average shortstop. And I bet you can stream a better one. Another, you know, you probably already know this because you're a Yankee guy, Gary Sanchez. Mm-hmm. We, I ranked him eighth coming into the season, and he was at the beginning of a tier of catchers where if they were struggling, I was going to tell you to cut them, mm-hmm. right? So, like, right now, if you're sitting there and Gary Sanchez is your starting catcher and Mitch Garver happens to be out there. Oh, yeah. I'm making – you make that swap right now. Right they're now. owned in like a similar number of leagues. So th- this is actually a real possibility, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or there's someone else who's like, you know, I'm not cutting him for absolutely nobody, but if there's a decent, uh, you know, if Yadi Molina, he's rostered in quite a few leagues, but if he oh, yes. is out there, mm-hmm. easy, right? Um, mm-hmm. Obviously th- those are like some of the easy ones, but honestly, if there's like a, if there's like a decent catcher, who's maybe going on a four game road trip to Colorado, I might, I might just do that. Right. <laughs> right. Like, even if, like if Sean Murphy is going to play in Colorado, give me Sean Murphy. Oh, absolutely. Right? He's, slumping. Yes. Mm-hmm. He's slumping right now, but I don't care. Right. Cause Gary Sanchez is too. Finally, mm-hmm. Ryan Mountcastle, a guy I liked a lot. Uh, he's just not doing it. 12 team league. You don't need to hold Jed Lowry did his normal, like beginning of the season on fire thing. And it's over. You can let him go. He was, he was making a lot of contact, but even when he was, he wasn't hitting a ton of home runs. He wasn't driving in some crazy amount of runners. He's just Jed Lowry. Finally, mm-hmm. David Fletcher, super you know flexible in terms of your roster but you don't want to start him in any of those spots you can put him basically anywhere in your lineup and you still don't want to start him that means you can probably let him go right he's not he's not one of your top two second base shortstop third base or outfield right now so just let him go Mm -hmm. Uh, i I like him a lot i think he's got a cool skill set but it's not working right now and he was only a 
like two category player to begin with, right? He was supposed to score runs and have batting average. He's not hitting for a lot of average and he's not scoring a lot of runs. So he's got to go. Yeah. And yeah. then finally, two guys you mentioned, well, just throw out there, Nick yeah. Madrigal, 12 team leagues, 10 team leagues. You just let him go because he's mm-hmm. not stealing bases. And yeah. if he's not stealing bases, that batting average at the bottom of that order is worthless. Let it yes. go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Miles Straw, I really did believe along with uh, one of my other you know, co-host friends, Rich Holmes. I really thought that Miles Straw could compete for like the AL stolen base title with Aldebaro Mondesi, but yep. he's not stealing bases. And he's certainly not doing anything else. So unless you're in a very deep league and stolen bases are a true premium, Miles Straw can go and hit the wire. I was right there with you and your co-host about Miles Straw. And I, of course, it hurts that the Astros were talking about batting him towards the top of the batting order. Now he's batting eighth every day. So I'm with you. And and great stuff, Scott. Great stuff as always. That's it for this week. So I uh, want to thank you for allowing us to visit with you. Uh, we hope that you were informed and entertained because, of course, that's our goal. Are you not entertained? You can follow me at Joe Galena. Follow Scott at If The Chew Fits. Follow our podcast at Hacks and Jacks PL. And if you follow at Pitcherlist Pods, you'll be informed anytime that a new episode drops for any of the great podcasts on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a stellar five star review. As always, We hope that all of your fantasies become realities. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time. 